Hey, and welcome to all the lovers out there. This is the How to Love a Human podcast, moderated by Dr. Candice Nicole Hargons. Follow and come chat it up some more with us on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Candice Nicole and on our website, drcandicenicole.com. You will find those links in our description box. Today, the How to Love a Human podcast welcomes Ruben to the space. So sit back and join us along this journey on how to love a human. Hey, Ruben, how you doing today? Hey, Doc, how are you? I'm doing really good. Excited to talk to you. I'm excited to talk to you, too. And so I start with my non-researchy question first. Are you feeling human or human as fuck today? Human AF. I am feeling... I'm feeling spiritual today. I'm feeling, feeling spiritual as fuck today. Okay, so that's different from human or human as fuck. Break it down for me. What does it mean for you to feel spiritual? I think that it is the next level after human as fuck. I think that um, a lot of times we walk around thinking we are um, bodies with spirit in them. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm starting to realize that we are um, spirits in bodies. Okay. Well, okay, spirits in bodies rather than bodies with spirits in them. It seems like it takes the spiritual component a little bit more encompassing than exactly. the human embodied component. Exactly. What exactly. does that look like on a day-to-day? Um, what that looks like on a day-to-day is um, checking my ego. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times, no, not even a lot of times, we're all programmed and socialized until our identities, yeah, uh, for better or worse, and I think that those identities are beautiful things, and I could really get into those. I mean, I study those, but on another level, they're limiting in some ways. And so, for me, that means um, focusing on my energy more so than my who I've been taught to be. Mm-hmm. And what does your energy do? When you focus on it, how does it expand or constrict? Like what? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think um, for me, I there's a term called light worker that I've I've really been into. And I've oh, been, I haven't heard that one. Oh, you haven't heard light worker? Oh, that's interesting because you you, you strike me as um, somebody who gives light light to people you you interact with. Oh, well, I appreciate but, that. <laughs> I think um, my understanding of the word light workers, people who bring light, light to the world, light to the interactions they have, and I think anybody can do that. And I think that is um, our default state. Uh, but then I think we're so deceived and we're jaded by um, what we're socialized into mm. or the, the world that we live in. And so, um, for me, being a light worker has meant um, really owning love for myself yeah. and, and people around me. Mm-hmm. And projecting that, projecting that, and I think light is the is the language or the symbol that that symbolizes that for me. Gotcha. I like that light worker. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna follow up on that and be looking into what that means, especially oh, since you some books for you too. <laughs> okay. Yes. Please share those references with me so I can do my research. I got you. <laughs> so you talked about how identities, in some way, are beautiful, but also. Limit. It could limit limit your ability to be divine or be spiritual. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering about your most salient identity. Share those with me. 
would it be fair to, I, I mean, I want to identify as a light worker in the conversation. Yes, so. you can identify in whatever way is most salient to you. I, I, yeah, I want to, I want to identify as a light worker, I think. And I also want to, you know, for your listeners also, um, be fair and under, and, and we can talk on that level of, you know, you know, I'm a black, you know, Nigerian, first generation Nigerian, uh, you know. 50-year doctoral student, like, all those things are obviously important for how I navigate the world, and that's, that's, those things aren't most salient to me anymore, mm-hmm. and it's, it's been actually, um, a relatively recent, um, shift for me, you know, following the protest at Mizzou, but, um, it, it, it was really after the protest where, you know, I was at a very low point, you know, I think, it's easy to talk about protest and protesters, mm-hmm. but when you're when you're there and you experience, you you see it. I mean, you see the oppression. You're very close to it. You live it. And you're yeah, yeah. You live it, and you're in that fighter role. Uh, it put me in a very and then you get the backlash. It's mm-hmm. not. It'd be one thing if it's the protest and you just fight for the rights, but like there's real life backlash that mm-hmm. me and many of my peers. And others who were involved experienced, and it, it put me in a very, very dark place for a little bit, and I had to heal myself. Yeah. And in that healing, I found um, I found power in love, mm-hmm. <laughs> love for myself, and, and love for other people, including the people who I was fighting, which was very weird. And you know, it actually gave me it. I think there's um. When you're in that fighter role, it's easy to dismiss people who preach love. Yeah. You know, and it's easy yeah. to say Martin Luther King didn't know what Malcolm X was doing. And the reality is, I, I have a better purview of what Malcolm X was reaching for, what mm-hmm. he was talking about now. Well, let me back up a little bit because I want you to provide the context. When you say the protests at Mizzou, what are you uh, talking about? I, I might understand, but I don't think that people know. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what I would encourage everybody to do is um, do their own homework. I think a good place to start is going to YouTube and um, typing in Mizzou 2015 homecoming protests. Mm-hmm. There's some, some cell phone footage that gives you a glimpse into what was happening on our campus then. But even before then, and like a lot of predominantly white institutions and a lot of institutions in general, uh, our campus is um, steeped in oppression, the oppression Mm -hmm. of marginalized folks from women to disabled folks. And um, obviously we're in Missouri. There's a longstanding history with racial oppression here. Mm. And of course the university um, perpetuates that. And so what what was happening here was uh, just blatant and also covert acts of racism. And um, that was going on for a while. So you have students who come from St. Louis in the Ferguson area, and then you also have stu- students who are coming from rural communities who are predominantly white, who've never interacted with people of color. And of course, there's going to be cultural clashes, which makes sense. But, so that makes sense. You know, people are coming from different areas, mm-hmm. but what you have is the institution who's not proactively responding mm. to, to these cultural challenges. You know, you don't have to wait for white students to call black students niggers before mm-hmm. you say, all right, let's talk about some of these differences so we can start to develop an appreciation, right? Mm-hmm. So a long story short is um, just a long-standing history of racial tension. The institution wasn't addressing it, and you had some students who I think loved themselves in the institution 
enough to speak up about those mm-hmm. things and challenge those norms. And it led to um, protests that spread, you know, globally. Yeah. You know, you had people from South Africa who, were, who was contacting us at the time. So, uh, so yeah, that's kind of the, the brief overview of the protests that happened. And, then and it, it resulted in, you know, the resignations of our system president and, and chancellor. Right. And then one thing I want to really hone in on is that the spiritual and psychological healing you had to do for yourself mm. after that. So mm. when you use the term light worker and mm. then you also reinforce that people misunderstand what it means to be involved in protest and mm. they have perhaps a glamorized view of what it's like to be an activist. I think you just, for me, spoke to the inherent cumulative psychological toll even really good work can take on you and the backlash accompanying it. So break down the role, the salient identity of light worker as it relates to how you had to heal following that. That's a deep breath right there. Deep sigh. Yeah, that, I mean, because, I'm not, I mean, anytime I talk about that time, like, I just... I remember how damaged I was mm. because you are so passionate for, I mean, of course your group, I mean, black people, I love black people, mm-hmm. and you're passionate to see the humanity out of white folks, but to constantly see, you know, um, the lack of attention um, or, you know, these overt acts of violence targeting, you know, marginalized groups is just, is so, um, I don't know, it's troubling, mm-hmm. it's troubling. And I think that at that time, I was uh, I, I was walking around with a lot of expectations and misunderstanding uh, about people and institutions. And uh, I think I was bought into the, these value statements and, you know, how people present themselves. I mean, I think people present themselves as generally good, but mm-hmm. underneath that all, there's a lot of um, fear and shame and anger that a lot of people are walking around with. And, yeah. You know, that's everybody, but when you have privilege, it's easy to um, to affect people's lives based on that that, that power you have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, um, after the protest, I had to I had to to really reframe how I saw the world and institutions. I had to accept that people are fear-based and people are scared of each other mm. uh, and people don't want to connect with each other and people are po- polarized and our institutions are broken and our institutions actually are functioning exactly how they're supposed to function mm-hmm. which is in an oppressive fashion yeah and accepting that was hard you know what made it um, hard huh i said what made it hard because i think that it's almost like you want to this is gonna this this is probably gonna trigger some of your um, you know some of your audience members, but it's almost it's almost like I had owned a victim consciousness. Like I, mm-hmm. I want the university to see to see my value, or mm-hmm. I want white people to 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 see to see my humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is, shoot, I know exactly who I am and what I'm not. So right. I, mean, the, I don't need my validation from them. I mean, mm-hmm. I need my validation to the extent that I'm paying my tuition here. So you need to do your job. Right. But I don't, I don't need you to really appreciate me. If you don't appreciate me. Then you go over to that corner, and I'll be here, and I want to be around people who are going to appreciate me and who we can create um, a loving and compassionate community. 
But the reality is there are a lot of administrators, faculty, staff, students who, who are interested in that community. And I had to accept that. And I had to and I had to be okay with that so I could continue. Not, not actually, I had to be okay with that so I could move from being a fighter to a change agent. Mm. You know, the change agent means creating those spaces. Gotcha. You know? So for you, it sounds like releasing the need for white validation was liberating. The, the, the need to release any kind of validation, mm, not just white validation, okay. but okay. validation in general. Like, um, it, it, it's, it, how can I validate myself internally or, or be self, self-sustaining in my, my validation? Mm. That makes sense. Which mm-hmm. I think is rooted in a, self, a deep self-love. Yeah, yeah. And then how did your connection to an understanding of being a light worker come in relation to that? Well, so during that healing process, I, I think I was at a crossroads. I think it was like, all right, you can continue to fight. There's plenty of battles to fight now, particularly now that the backlash is here. And I had no idea about backlash. Yeah. Like, I was so, I mean, I was naive in my thinking. I thought that, you know, we had won the, the, the championship with racism at the university. Mm. Thought, you know, <laughs> and, and it was so beautiful. After those resignations, the, the, the energy on campus, I have never seen... A matter of fact, even before the resignations, there was a hunger strike here for about seven days, mm-hmm. and like the type of community we had at the university, I've never ever experienced. I mean, you got white people checking in on you, how you doing, looking you in your looking you in your eye on campus, smiling at you. Like there was a community that was built because there was so much tension, mm. and it was it was beautiful. I'll never forget that time. Um, dang, I forgot the question. You were saying. <laughs> You were going towards what the backlash was like and how you didn't expect it, but the question was related to like out of that, out of that mm. decrease in need for validation. Yeah. How did you connect yeah. to being a light worker? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I appreciate that. Sometimes I get super excited about this topic. <laughs> That's all right. But I think it. I think it was um, that backlash. It put me at a crossroads where I could either continue to fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I can begin to create the change that I wanted to see. Gotcha. And, you know, I was given the opportunity to um, teach two classes uh, in, in the College of Education um, through our department. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an intergroup-based diversity and social justice class. So that class, I was able to channel a lot of my um, social justice and, you know, energy into and you know, there are all kinds of people on campus, and people, my students who are undergraduates, they recognize me. Some of them recognize me. Some of them had no clue who I was. Mm-hmm. And what it, what it, that class, essentially, it, it was critical to my healing process mm. because it showed me that, yes, humans can come from all walks of life and have different opinions, but we can still create a community, and we can still push this community forward to change, to change each, not only each other, but the world we live in. Yeah. So um, I think it was it was that point to become a change agent and to um, also I don't know maybe give other other people tools to become change agents that really solidify my identity as a light worker. Gotcha. So what about some of the other identities you mentioned, but you said weren't mm-hmm. as salient? So you talked about being a black male. What about gender identity, sexual orientation, yeah, social yeah. class? ability, age, all of those things. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, 
Yeah, I, and I'm not saying those things aren't important. They, mm-hmm. they are very important. I leverage all those, um, you know, all those identities, for better or worse. Mm-hmm. And so I think sailing identities for me is being a former student athlete. I was mm-hmm. able to play, um, you know, high-level Division One football at the University of Georgia, go dogs. Hey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that gave me um, unique privilege and a unique um glimpse into the world of athletics and and um and institution institutions and institutional oppression i think obviously not well obviously well maybe obviously because you're obviously a woman too but you know being a, a man has granted me um tons of privilege that i've only recently realized in maybe like the last um six seven years but i've been um I continue to leverage that privilege mm-hmm. and to teach about what it means to be a, a man in the society and the consequences, for better or worse, too. Um, what does it mean to be a man in society for you? What does it mean to be yeah. a man in society? Because I think it do, it is it differs based on the other intersections of you. True. I think that being a man in society means that I, I'm centered. Like, I'm centered to a degree. Obviously, being a black, black man, uh, and society um, makes that relative, but in general, compared to women, I am centered. Um, I, when I go into rooms, people listen to me in a way um, mm. that they don't. Some of my my peers who are women, uh, I know. Um, I don't know. I just know I'll be taken seriously in a very unique, unique way. I know I don't have to experience certain forms of you know psychological or physical violence. Mm, mm-hmm. um, you know. I know that society is not going to demonize me for being a man. Um, there's just so many, so many ways where I assume privilege uh, yeah. as a man. Uh, now you add, obviously, the, the other identities. It, 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 you know, it becomes tricky. Mm-hmm. You know, being a black man um, has also, you know, changed changed my experience. You know, you know, it wasn't until graduate school I learned how, you know. Um, how intimidating or how how you know fear provoking being a black male can be you mm. know interacting with some of my peers mm-hmm. or you know certain professors or administrators at my university just me walking into a room alone can can incite a lot of emotions on a spectrum you know yeah. some people love it some people are extremely fearful of it right yeah and then how do you embody that like how do you navigate people's emotion their affects mm. around you so what I what I try to do is not. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think um. So what what I do is so I understand the privilege associated with it, and I also try to be aware of um, how that affects you know how that privilege affects people, whether it's you know particularly you know women. Mm-hmm. But I also use that identity intentionally. So you know I'm a I'm a six four two hundred twenty pound um, black male. And I think a lot of times people have schemas or ideas about what that means. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes I play into those. Sometimes I don't. Like, you know, I'm in the gym sometimes. And mm-hmm. I'm like, man, you look familiar. You play sports. And then, you know, sometimes I say yes. Sometimes I say no. Mm-hmm. Like, or, or, like, or I'll say, what makes you ask that? Yeah. Well, you know, you're big. And then it's like, well, no, actually, I'm a, I'm a fifth-year doctoral candidate. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, really? And then you see their face light up. So, or, you know, sometimes so I teach this class. And I know that I'm, I'm modeling a lot of the times, you know, what it what it what it means to be a, a black male, mm. what how black males behave, or 
how former student athletes act or what they say or how athletes behave. And so, you know, I'll, I'll say things like, no, y'all, y'all know, y'all know I'm a sensitive and emotional guy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, and, and I think that, um, that creates avenues for understanding and, and reframing how we've been programmed to think about men and women. Yeah. Cause I, I often perceive, I have a lot of male friends who are athletes at tech and in Georgia. Mm -hmm. And so I recognize immediately how sensitive they are. <laughs> So sensitive, <laughs> and that's a beautiful thing. But people just miss it, like they totally miss it because of their stature and because of their blackness. You know, and I'm like, yo, this is like a very vulnerable human being. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got feelings too. Right. I, got feelings too. <laughs> I think people. This is what's interesting to me. I think people are taken aback by it when that sensitivity gets expressed in non-traditional mm -hmm. ways, and then I think people almost move against it like they don't want you to be sensitive and feeling i don't know if you've experienced that but i've i've watched it happen time and time again to them where they're like yo that hurt my feelings and they're like you don't get to have hurt feelings i'm true i mean i could tell you a lot of stories about that I mean, mm -hmm. even in even in the activist circles i think you know there's a certain idea of who and what a black male should be and mm -hmm. do you know i mean what they should do and you know i i tell people i've been you know, in some of the most hurtful situations, being in activist circles, you mm. know, there's a fine line again between being a fighter and a changing, yeah. you know, conver conversations with the people you love, um, whether that be your, your oppressor or the people who share your identity, identity group, they could be, there's a fine line between fighting these people and then working as a change agent. Yeah. And I wonder... I wonder how so many, not, I know I understand the mechanism for how it happens, but I wonder what it feels like in particular for some of our peers and colleagues in the NFL who are experiencing backlash from their protests now mm -hmm. with people's imposition that they're not feeling, feeling human beings. Like they just mm -hmm. feel like they can say anything to them or throw stuff at them or in that they should just be able to take it. Oh my, yeah, I, I feel for those athletes, um, and I also know that, you know, those athletes have a lot of power. Absolutely. If, if they're able to organize it, um, they they will transform the National Football League, and it's going to change either way, so, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I'm, I'm sending a lot of light to those athletes, and eventually, uh, I imagine I'll be in some of those spaces mm -hmm. um, to, to do some of this work, but... But it, it's it's a it's a plantation mentality, and and now the NFL can't hide from it. And yeah, the athletes are also. I know a lot of those athletes are experiencing dissonance. Mm -hmm. um, even, mm -hmm. even a lot of my peers who are still in the NFL, they haven't had the privilege, the access, the opportunity to explore identities in the world, and you know, institutional and individual oppression like I have, and so. A lot of them are, are going through dissonance right mm -hmm. now. What do, I, what do I do? What does it mean to be a black man? Like so A lot of them, you know, don't identify as black males because they don't know what it means to be black mm -hmm. or male. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 I understand that process because, you know, when you leave athletics, the world slaps the hell out of you man. with reality. It slaps the hell out of you and because... That football culture, it creates a bubble that protects you. Oh. And you don't have to explore these things, you know? So I feel for them, and I also know that you know they have a lot of power. That mm -hmm. I think that they will, le I, I think that they will leverage. I hope they do. 
That's my hope. And I also hope that as a community, we can just recognize how much value we have and just have our own shit. But that's just me. Like, I would just rather us start our own shit. But that's just how I roll. You saw Diddy. He wants to buy the NFL. You know, I mean, but just start a new one. Don't even call it that. You know what I mean? Just Again, Doc, it's a validation thing. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if what? What do they say? At least 80% of the athletes are black in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Who has the real power? Right. And when you recognize that, imagine the amazing things you can do. I know. And so what I what I spend my time focusing on a lot of the time, and I, I talk about this a lot when I go talk to people, is the creating a vision for the world. Like, mm-hmm. you know, does, does Diddy really, really buy the NFL? I don't know. But just the vision alone has power yeah. and strength. What does it mean for an all-black-owned football league? Mm-hmm. Whoa, that's mm-hmm. different. Um, would they care more about the athletes? Would they care more about um, careers after sport? Would they care more about health? You know, the the brain, right? yeah, the health. Hmm. Let's start exploring those ideas mm-hmm. because then you don't have to. I'll use the word waste energy or misuse energy trying to solve a problem that may or may not ever change. Right. I think there's so much power in conscious mm. segregation, and I don't want to use. Like that, I want to co-op that term because I think it makes it makes sense to me that if it's not imposed on you, like you're segregating because it's not your choice, mm-hmm. and you get to choose yourself and your people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and employ your resources for the advancement of yourself and your people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that there's beauty in that, and then you can mm-hmm. come together from a place of empowerment with other cultures mm-hmm. once you have established that within mm-hmm. yourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to shift a little bit. What does love mean to you? <laughs> what was all that been about? That's such a deep question, and like that's and and, and I'm learning so much about love every day. Mm-hmm. This answer constantly shifts, but I I really am starting to see love is everything that exists. Everything that exists. Else, Anything else is a is a is a complete illusion. Mm. Have you read A Course in Miracles? A Course in Miracles? No, I've never read that book. What's that about? It basically speaks to that premise that love is all there is, and that everything else is an illusion. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a spiritual guy type of thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know what I do? I do this weird thing where I, um, as people who are ready, you know, because mm-hmm. I think sometimes people I'm in a cult, people think I'm in a cult that mm-hmm. follows the sun, but really the sun's just a metaphor for these ideas that I have. But I tell people to point to themselves and I say, what's the, what's the smallest, I think back to chemistry mm-hmm. and everybody gets antsy because everybody's like, I feel chemistry. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Um, I'm like, think back to chemistry. What's the smallest particle in you? And I, I point at somebody. And, and then, you know, I, I scaffold it a little bit. And they eventually say an atom. And then you could even say a subatomic uh, atom. And, you know, it's um, even smaller and that we don't even have the tools to really measure. But we know it's there. Mm-hmm. And then you point at maybe a, a, an inanimate object in the room like a table. And then you ask them the same question. And then, they, you know, they eventually they get to the same thing. And then I let them sit with that. I'm like, what does this mean? And it's like, 
tell them there's a deep interconnectedness between mm-hmm. not only things but people. Yeah. You know, and and science is saying this, but we don't talk about it. We don't. It's not in the main discourse. But if we're all made out of the same thing, what what does that mean? What are the implications of that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are the implications of you know how I treat you know these objects around me, these items I own, the planet, and then the people, you know, people. Yeah. And then I know there's energy that, you know, brings me closer to that connection, like love, like joy, like happiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that there's things that take me away from that, um, that, that connectivity. I'm thinking about fear at the top of that list, but yeah. fear, shame, guilt, anger, hatred, yeah. those things take me far away. So that's, that's kind of how I boil it down, but things that get me closer to that that connectedness, you know? Mm-hmm, I do. And so when you conceptualize love as everything mm. and you engage the world that mm. way, what does it mm. look like? What does that mean to you? There's a level of freedom that I can't even explain yeah. um, that I feel. like um, And that doesn't mean I don't experience negativity or people who don't like me. Yeah. But what, again, like... Um, I have a deep empathy for people who don't see love as 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 everything mm, because mm-hmm. they are living in an illusion. You know, yeah. um, when people can't love somebody because because of a socially constructed idea like race or gender, mm-hmm. then then that that prevents them from reaching their full human capacity. Yeah, and so. So what I do is, one, I protect my human capacity because I, I love myself enough to understand my value, um, and I protect my energy. So, you know, people who aren't ready for these ideas or who aren't ready for change, um, maybe i catch them at a later part in the process. Mm-hmm. But in general, I think there are a lot of people who 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 are tired of the deception, who are yeah. tired of this, this horror story, and my job is to engage them and to remind them that, this experience is powerful and we're all creators and we can create the world that we want to live in. Mm-hmm. Period. <laughs> and the more people who are empowered to recognize their capacity to create, the closer mm-hmm. you become, right? To that. Mm-hmm. Yes, as a collective, the closer mm-hmm. we become. Like, um, a good example I use is after Donald Trump won the pres- presidential election, there was an intense fear that swept. I feel like the whole country, maybe mm-hmm. even the world, and I woke up that day in a great mood, uh, and, mm-hmm. it, and it wasn't to say that I didn't understand what we had gotten into as a country, but I had already had my, my, I already had to tangle with that dissonance during the protest mm-hmm. when I hit that low point. Mm-hmm. Like I already understood that our institutions are corrupt, yeah. that our government is corrupt, that higher education that is, that purports to be, you know, one of the most progressive spaces or institutions in our country is very as a very conservative space, very mm-hmm. conservative and slow moving space. And so by that time I'd already reached this point spiritually where it's like, it doesn't matter what's going on around me, I'm about to be light for whoever's around me and whoever I interact with. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're a white supremacist. If you got a bit of love in you, I'm gonna exploit that. Yeah. I don't care if you're a black nationalist or you're black with internalized hate. I'm still going to see, find find whatever light I can in you and exploit that. And if you're not ready for that, okay, I'm going to love you or I'm going to love the idea of you that you haven't reached yet. And that's mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. So do you, ex- do you think of corruption then as 
a lack of love or a lack of recognition of love? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe maybe and in both. Mm-hmm. Maybe and in both. I don't I don't I don't know. I, I think it's the same impact, right? <laughs> yeah. But I same mean the impact. intervention might change based on the conceptualization of it if so many systems mm. are corrupt. Mm, mm. Okay, so run those two options by me again. So a lack of love or a lack mm. of recognition of love. Recognition, lack of recognition. And it doesn't have to be either. It could be something totally different, but just based on the way you were describing it, I was wondering how you saw yeah. it. Mm. Maybe, I don't know. I think, you know, people who can't recognize love, maybe they never learn love. Mm. And like, if you were never taught love or you were socialized to see love in a very narrow way, then that's all you know how to give it. That's yeah. all you know how to do. Like, that, that idea of people are doing the best with what they have. Yeah. That's a very deep concept. That's a like, very intentional and compassionate worldview. Right? Um, but that, that takes a lot of the anger out of it, mm-hmm. you know? President Donald Trump is doing the best he can with the tools that he got. And that's not to say that I'm complicit to, you know, his actions or that I'm happy with them or, um, you know, or, you know, I, yeah, I, I, I want to promote his mm-hmm. ideas. But what that's saying is, like, based on how he's been taught to interact with, you know, others and other people and really himself. That is the best he can do, and that's that's sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's sad. That's not love. I don't think that's love. I don't think. I, I don't. I wonder I, if I had a conversation with Donald Trump, I would ask him, "How much do you love yourself?" Mm-hmm. And I'm sure people would say, you know, he loves himself a lot. But deep down, I, I really question that because when you really love yourself, it gives you all the tools to love other people. Mm-hmm. Say that one more time. When you love yourself. It gives you all the tools to love other people. Wow. So what are those tools, you think? (sighs) I don't know. I think, um, I don't know. I I, I wish I could write them down systematically, but things that come to my mind are um, compassion, Mm -hmm. understanding. Mm -hmm. Um, empathy. Um, I teach this diversity and social justice class, and it's, it's intergroup based. And um, you know, I've taught it for almost what four four semesters. Mm-hmm. And every year, it, it it amazes me how how the students who enter the class are programmed. Like people are taught how to hate, mm. how to how to debate each other. Um, how, how to be polarized, how to argue, but, you know, rarely do they have the skills. And this is, you know, this is gra- graduating mm-hmm. seniors all the way to freshmen. Mm-hmm. It, you know, they've never been taught how to dialogue with each other, how to work for understanding, how to actively listen to somebody, or, or how to empathize, how to put themselves in this, the position of somebody else's world. And, you know, those are the skills that make us human. Like, mm-hmm. those are the skills that push us forward as a species. And it's, it amazes me that we've become so um, distant from those qualities. And so it's a really sacred process to, um, to challenge students to, to develop those skills. Because I think people in general want love and they mm-hmm. want connectedness. 
I, at I mean, the core, feel like people want to be loved and belong. I mean, yes. every single person. Yes, yes. And then I think we um, we get away from that. We mm-hmm. allow these these divisions in our society to um, to separate to separate us, and we we miss that opportunity to really connect. What would the world be like if it loved you? Mm. Uh, well, I actually do this meditation where when I inhale, mm-hmm. <laughs> I try to inhale um, for as long as I can and exhale um, for as long as I can, too. And when I inhale, I say I, I receive love from all everything around me that exists. Mm-hmm. And then when I exhale, I um, say I give love to all that exists. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I believe I get love from everything, even my negative experiences, even my experiences with oppression, um, even my experience with privilege. Um, those are all experiences that are opportunities to connect me with love, either mm-hmm. love for myself or love for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Or is that, I feel like I'm in abstract world, but I really feel connected to the idea that I'm giving. No, I think that. There are so many ways to look at it. That's why I ask people because I want to hear it all. You know, yeah. hear yeah. what it would look like, like if you walk through the world. And if so, if your meditation is such that you remind yourself of that every single day, then if other people were doing that every day, what would this mm. world look like to you? Oh my gosh! It, it's the oh, it's the world I dream about mm-hmm. all the time. It's the world that I vision. It's the world. I mean, there'd be peace. Mm. There'd be there'd be there'd be an absence of war. Mm-hmm. Um, there'd be an absence of, of authority of, I think of really government, you know, which mm-hmm. is, which is extreme to some people. But when you think about how, how powerful love is, we will figure out a way to make it work without yeah. authority. Yeah. Um, and then the people who weren't interested in making them work, we would put them in a, another place where they could make it work for themselves. Yeah. Um, but it, it would, I think it would be. Oh my gosh! I think you know how people describe heaven. I think mm-hmm. it would be heaven on earth. Mm-hmm. So there would be care and empathy, and we wouldn't require systems to mandate us. mandate how we operate because we yes. would be doing it from a place of love. Yes. Yeah. And you must be a good counselor. I would like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> Ideas together, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. But yeah, so yeah, so it'd be a beautiful world, it'd be a very beautiful world. Mm-hmm. No hunger, people wouldn't have to suffer. Mm-hmm. Maybe we could really put money into to solving some really challenging problems that we have as a human species. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I wonder yeah. if money would even exist. Ooh. I don't know, I wonder though. That is. Again, these are the thoughts that I rather spend my time entertaining than you know turning in CNN or Fox or any any really mainstream propaganda um, channel. Because if you turn your attention to it, and I think you broke this down very nicely when you were talking about atoms and chemistry, mm. but even bringing in physics, when you turn your attention to something, mm. it shifts. Mm. <laughs> it responds to that attention. Mm. 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 And so what we do what we do with our attention is so important and I really appreciate your your worldview on that. Thank you. So what identities and others do you sometimes struggle to love as you're on this journey 
of being a light worker and embodying self-love in the way that's really healing for you? Yeah. Okay. I want to, I want to, I want to, you know, cause I could talk about, you know, the guilt that I felt uh, after learning that, you know, I had perpetuated this violence at women, you know, sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously, mm-hmm. just based on my identity as a man or, you know, I could talk about some of the ugly parts of, you know, growing up black with this internalized, this internalization of white, racism, white supremacy. I could talk about that. Mm-hmm. But I think all of that's subsumed in um, this idea of what people call victim consciousness. Okay. Break that um, down. What would that mean? I think it's this idea where, again, we let outside things outside of us um, govern our thoughts you know, behaviors, feelings, mm-hmm. uh, and we, we actually, we almost look to be rescued by certain things. We were Ooh. looking for validation outside of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think understanding that, because I, I mean, that's a triggering, that was a triggering concept for me at first, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, so, so you're telling me as an oppressed person, I, cre- I create my condition, mm-hmm. you know, or I put myself in this position. And, you know, I had to tweak that because the reality is there are some parts of my oppression that I I internalized, Mm. you know, for a very long time. I didn't want to be, you know, a a black psychology student who studied black issues because Mm. I knew that being in a predominantly white institution, that makes you that type of researcher, you know. But then when I question that, I'm like, what the hell kind of thought is that? Mm -hmm. Because if I don't do it, who's going to do it? Right. You know, so... Um, who better to do it? <laughs> who better to do it? Well, shoot. That's another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but I think um, really challenging myself to um, challenge this, this victim consciousness where I needed... I mean, and this is going to... This is this is going to be... Um, first off, I really appreciate the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it, it put me in a position to understand my, my black identity... Uh, Obviously, it was important for the momentum that we had for uh, our movement at Mizzou. Mm-hmm. And, and and I'm going to say and because this allows room for multiple truths. And there's like a, 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 part of, a part of the Black Lives Matter that I had to challenge too. Because I think it, at first it, it might have started, and it, it, obviously there's, Everybody owns the protest in, in that movement differently, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it might have started as like, all right, this is important. Like, we need to, we need to, we need to make, we need to make it known that Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. That they're important. Then I think maybe there might have been a shift over some time towards. Hold on, we need institutions to um, to also profess that Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. We need we need police to say that Black Lives Matter. And the reality is. Black Lives Matter, ne- they never matter to, our, to, to policing as a whole, as mm-hmm. an institution. And particularly, particularly when you look at the origins mm-hmm. of policing in this country. And so to say that, again, that's looking for validation outside of you and your group. And black people got all their money together and said, look, we're going to police our own neighborhoods and we're going to start our own institutions. That's, another, that's a very different type of Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that, that to say that there are outside forces pressing on us. All I, what I'm saying is that we we have power as a collective to do these things on our own. Yeah, and I think that is actually on the platform now, which is interesting to me because I had 
I hadn't even thought about like community policing until I saw it on that platform and I was like well that makes absolute sense to me <laughs> like not community policing like you hired somebody to be a part of a system but just we got us we will do this we will hold ourselves accountable and love each other and guide people who are falling off that's a beautiful vision that wasn't that wasn't my my idea though like that was that was on the platform where i was like that in and of itself is is the power of an idea Mm -hmm. it's not your idea but if you own that idea we talk about that idea somebody who listens to this thinks about that idea then they talk about it to another person that idea is already spread very quickly Mm -hmm. somebody Mm -hmm. sure enough is going to catch on to that idea and say i'm going to build on this idea just like how me and you know other students faculty staff at the university of missouri said I'm going to build on this idea of Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. I'm going to speak up. You know, I'm not going to no longer be silenced by, you know, you know, white students here or mm-hmm. white faculty members who, you know, keep introducing me as a student athlete or football player well after I stop playing football. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's the power of I- I- ideas. Like, um, they're, they're communal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so my last question is, what do you love most about you? Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> I think that... Oh. That, that response is usually this response I get first where people sigh deeply or they laugh or they be like, whoa. You know, and I'm like, what is it about that question that evokes such... Nonverbal affect. <laughs> uh, because, like you know, I, again, I think we've been programmed to to think about how we need to communicate our love for ourselves. Because you know, it can be misconstrued as being conceited, mm-hmm. or you know, I mean, yeah, I think there's just like this social conditioning about how we should talk about ourselves. Mm-hmm. That I've worked to fight, mm-hmm. and. Um, and so I was thinking about all that as you asked the question, and then like a whole list of things that I love about myself came up. Nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think most, of, I think at the top of that list would be my passion and love. Like I, I, I really am passionate about um, about people and change, mm-hmm. and that passion. Um, I focus on that passion for better or worse. Like, I think, you know, that passion has distanced me from a lot of my loved ones. Mm. You know, I don't talk to all my loved ones as much as I would like to. Yeah. And it's it's created this global village, almost, where I feel so connected to, you know, the students I teach. Like, you know, the matter of fact, yesterday I told, no, Tuesday. Tuesday, we had this big conflict last week in class because I teach a predominantly white white class. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an intergroup base, and so I was talking to them about the relationship with power and racism. And you know, I told them, I asked them, could ra- could people of color be racist? And I'm using this definition that talks about not only just the individual um, stereotype, prejudice, or discrimination, mm-hmm. but it also talks about that power component, right. you know, the institutional power. And it was very hard for them. It was, uh, I mean, and, and uh, you know, they're they're, they're first year students, a lot of them. Um, and so, essentially, they're high school students trying to understand this concept, mm-hmm. and I know they're not getting into K-12. Yeah, not at all. Um, so, it was this huge conflict, and, like, I, I had to, like, 
stop the discussion and like checking on the emotions because you know I know this is an emotional mm-hmm. this is emotionally laden content and you know so I, I we ended the class um, sometime after that but I thought about that and it's like um, so I, I was like I had to I have to address this next week we have to talk about this conflict because you know you're you're, you're even modeling how you go through conflict mm-hmm. and of like that mm-hmm. and so I brought it up again and we were able to talk about you know, what went well in that conversation and, you know, how challenging it is to, to hear new ideas. And when I told them, I was like, I don't know how many of your instructors will ever tell you this, but I love each and every one of you all. Mm-hmm. And none of this is personal for me. All of this is about growth. And then, like, the look on their faces, some of them were uncomfortable. Some of them were, like, you know, shaking their head because even saying I love you has become taboo in our mm-hmm. society. Mm. You know, and so I think my passion for this work is helping me find very unique ways to communicate with people. And, gotcha. and I, I love that. Ways that they are not familiar with or used to, exactly. but that still provide something that they need. Yes, 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 yes. Another great reflection, Doc. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that because I used I'm something very similar in my, my class a couple of weeks ago, I teach psychopathology. Mm. And I always teach it in the context of social justice and cultural competence. Nice. But the way I started is with, how are y'all doing today? You know what I mean? Just a mm. basic inquiry about their well-being and making sure mm. that they're taking good care of themselves. Because I'm like, you mm. know sleep really relates to half of these disorders and all of that. Mm. But I asked them at the midpoint, so how's this class going for you? What things do you need me to do differently? What things do you really think work for us that you want me to keep doing? And a student said, I appreciate that you ask us how we're doing every class because we really feel cared about. And I was like, well, that's because I love y'all. So, of course, I would check in with you. And that was just silent. Like, Doc, are you saying that you, you, um, you treat your students like humans and not robots who are yes. there to just be, be, be money-making machines for, for the, the capitalistic system? Oh it's, possible. it's a possibility I do that. It's a possibility. <laughs> That's beautiful, Doc. Doc, I feel like you're a light worker. Like, I mean, I, I do the same thing with my class before, before we even start content. We go around and check in. How, how are you doing today? Mm-hmm. What's your name and how are you doing today? And then... You know, you know, you know who's feeling it that day, who's mm-hmm. not, and you know you, you just acknowledge, just acknowledging yeah. that humanity can be a very powerful act of love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, is there anything I haven't asked you that you think would be important in your in as we end this? Mm. No, you asked me. You asked me everything that um, I felt was important for this. Is there anything you feel like I didn't say that I needed to let the people know? <laughs> no. I like people to lead with what's important to them. And I just kind of follow up, see where you're going to go with it, and I go with you. Okay. Well, I guess maybe there's one thing. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't know who's going to listen to this or when they're going to listen to it. Um, but I think it's important for people to know that we each have all the tools we need to, to create change mm. and this whole idea of waiting for anything outside of ourselves whether it's you know President Obama getting reelected when he really can or, <laughs> you know, some, some outside savior or the Chanel even though I would like her <laughs> I, actually I kind 
kind of don't want anybody I care about in that office. I feel you wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. And I like Michelle Obama a lot. But I think understanding that we have the power to create change every moment of our life. Like, I don't even like, I believe that so much. I started to repress the the term activist because Mm -hmm. it's limiting. Like, it's another identity that comes with expectations and roles. And that's not saying, you know, I'm hating on activists at all. Mm -hmm. But what that's saying is that we can be active in every aspect of our life. Mm -hmm. Like, when I walk into a room and I bring positive energy, I I bring a smile, that that challenges a norm, Mm -hmm. you know? You know, maybe that challenges a classist norm where people got to go to work and hate their Mm day-to-day life, you know? Mm -hmm. Or when, when I when I smile at my white students, or I have high expectations for the learning that my white students could have, that's that's going to have implication for black students down the road. Mm-hmm. You know, that's going to have implications for who those white women decide to become, get in relationships with. Mm-hmm. That might be the difference between getting in an abusive relationship or a loving relationship. So yeah. every decision you make can challenge, can can change the world, and it's so important because right now. We're in the new civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the new civil rights movement. And so I tell everybody, anytime I talk to anybody, decide who you want to be. And if you know who you want to be, you can act in that, right? Mm. But if you aren't sure, ambiguity creates a lot of room for disorganization, like yeah. internal disorganization and external mm-hmm. but it also creates an opportunity for creativity too don't get me yeah. wrong with that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well I really appreciate you taking this time to talk to me Ruby yes and we're out